This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, September 9th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Across a wide range of issues, people who don't feel good unless they're negatively impacting the lives of others have become empowered to bring down the hammer of the state on the annoyances others cause. Anthony Davies is co-author of Cooperation and Coercion, How Busy Bodies Became Busy Bullies, and what that means for economics and politics. We spoke in July. Aside from the wars that involve... Uh, to paraphrase a former defense secretary, kinetic military action. Um, what are the wars that the United States has undertaken domestically? Domestically, the war on poverty, the war on drugs, the war on crime. And now we have the new uh, war on COVID following hot in the heels of the war on terror. We like to call these the wars on nouns. There's no clear enemy. and so the enemy becomes, in effect, the people. The war on poverty becomes a war on poor people. The war on terror becomes a war on citizens. And and it leaves you in in an unfortunate state where I think much much of the friction between the citizenry and the police in this country comes about because of these wars on nouns. We pass these laws, we make things mandatory we make them illegal in which there's no there's no victim um think about the war on drugs and yes you can imagine victims when it comes to you know knocking over the liquor store so i can get money to feed my drug habit that's a different thing that's that's theft it's not burglary it's not uh, it's not the drugs but what happens is when you start declaring war on all of these nouns you put the police in the position of having to enforce rules that a decent swath of the population doesn't agree with. And, and so their, their understandable anger that should be directed at the politicians that institute the laws instead are directed at the police who enforce them. Do you draw a distinction between COVID as a threat versus drugs or poverty as social problems? Sure. And these things are all, you know, multidimensional and and complicated. There's an extent certainly to which COVID is a real threat. There's also an extent certainly to which we have blown it out of proportion. Um, I came here on a couple of planes and everyone was, was serious about you have to wear your mask in the airport all the time. And if you don't, you'll be thrown in jail. It's a federal offense, on and on and on. And I'm looking around thinking this is ridiculous because all of these very same people came from a maskless society. And when they get off the plane, they're going to return to a maskless society. And it all starts to look like virus theater, which is not dissimilar from not all, but a lot of what we see with security theater with the TSA. For frequent flyers, I suspect that uh, the risk of gaining a lot of weight uh, is real because the only time you can take your mask off is if you're eating something. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. In your book, uh, the subtitle is How Busy Bodies Became Busy Bullies. So in a general sense, detail for me how that process occurs. I have I have ideas about how it occurs, but you tell me. Oh, we all know the busy bodies, you know, from the time we're little and you're 
best friend is telling on you for something or other. And all the way up through, you go home for Thanksgiving and your aunt is going to stick her nose in decisions you've made and who you're dating and what major you're studying in college and so on and so forth. These are the busy bodies. Now, busy bodies are well-intentioned. They think they have the right answer. And if only you would adopt their right answer, your life would be better. Well, busybodies unto themselves are simply an annoyance, but mix them with government and they level up. They become busy bullies where they go to the government and say, I know how other people should live. And what we need here are laws that force other people to live the way I say. And, and the bottom line, the bottom line problem here, interestingly, is a failure to take diversity seriously. Diversity beyond the simple thing of differences in skin tone and accent and so on and so forth, diversity at a very real level has to do with differences in our preferences, our circumstances, our abilities. Um, and to be a busy bully is to ignore that diversity and to, to say the solution that is right for me and my circumstances and my preferences should also be right for you. That is, I'm, I've just thrown diversity out the window and I've made the assumption that everything that is true about me must also be true about you. Uh, I was just speaking with uh, Nolan Gray talking about housing uh, and how people use their property is of intense interest of your neighbors, it turns out, uh, when it comes to crafting those kinds of rules. Yeah, and, and here we have to do a dance because on the one hand, if I'm telling you how you should live your life, how, how you should paint your house, what have you, that starts to look like busy bullying, except what you're doing may impose a cost on me. And now we start to move into a realm where government action, coercion actually is possibly a good thing. I give you an extreme example. Um, you, you collect a bunch of trash in your backyard and in so doing, you attract all the animals and it's, you know, a health hazard and all of this, and I'm your next door neighbor, and this causes problems for me. You've imposed a cost on me. Now, even the most stringent free marketer would say, yeah, there's a role for government here in preventing people from imposing harm on each other. And so we come back to our book. It's not cooperation or coercion. It's cooperation and coercion, that coercion is an appropriate tool in certain circumstances. The problem is those circumstances are few, and we have come to use coercion to solve, to attempt to solve all of our problems when cooperation more often than not is the appropriate tool. When we arm some group, um, regulators or police or, uh, some other, uh, agency with the power to enforce the rules that, uh, voters or politicians thought were necessary to combat some problem, uh, invariably we end up giving those people a lot of discretion in how and against whom they enforce. Yeah, we, we give them a lot of discretion on the front end. And then on the back end, we remove the implications of them making the incorrect decision by giving them immunity. And so you have prosecutors that have full immunity. You have police who have qualified immunity. And if they exercise that judgment incorrectly in a way that 
any normal citizen in the same situation exercising the same judgment would be charged and thrown in jail. They get off scot-free. Well, we're trying to draw clear distinctions between the appropriateness of state action in dealing with some social ill. What are they? What, what, should, what should politicians be using as their checklist for the appropriateness of uh, some law or enforcement mechanism? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And I'll start off by saying there's a gray area here in which it isn't clear. However, the gray area tends to be small. The, the line in the sand I would draw is, do we have a situation where somebody is imposing harm on someone else? If the answer is yes, then this is an appropriate place for coercion. If the answer is no, then it's not. And there will be areas where it's not entirely clear, but those will tend to be exceptions, not the rule. And so you talk about things like, of course, violence is imposing harm on somebody else, but you have to even think more broadly. Uh, defrauding customers is imposing harm on them. Um, polluting the environment is imposing harm. And if you start to think in terms of imposing harm as more than just physical violence, it's a, a, any sort of, of means in which I've, I've defrauded or I've d used deceit or what have you, I've done something that, that has, has caused you a, a, a harm, then all of a sudden it starts to look more reasonable. And what I find when I describe it this way is reasonable people on both the left and the right start nodding their heads saying, yeah, I can see that. That's the right use of government. But no, no buts. Well, you, where you, where you will get the buts are with the busy bullies. So the reasonable people will say, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, when you hear someone say, but I don't think teenagers should be drinking so much sugary drinks and we need to do something about, well, okay, that's no longer a reasonable person in my book. That's a busy bully. All of this, this whole topic stems from something that we humans have been aware of for millennia. It's the knowledge problem. And this goes back to, to Socrates, if not earlier, when he realized that individual people simply don't have enough information to be able to make decisions for others that are better than those others can make for themselves. And we live in a world in which politicians pretend that the knowledge problem doesn't exist, that they do indeed know, they have plans, and all you have to do is elect them. They'll implement this plan, and the plan will fix all of your problems. And the politicians know darn well that they don't know what they're talking about. But what they're doing is hoping that the voters aren't aware of that. And so they elect them. And of course, the plans won't work, but that's okay because there's another election coming along. And in fact, it actually is to the politicians' benefit if the plan doesn't work because the problem remains and I can use it again the next time I seek re-election and say, well, the reason my plan didn't work is because we didn't spend enough. Elect me again and we'll spend enough. We'll do it right this time. John Mueller at the Cato Institute refers to that as the self-licking ice cream cone. <laughs> that is, uh, agents, we create agencies to deal with a problem and uh, they know that their interest is to uh, extend that problem. Uh, if, if not, fix it a little bit, show progress, but we'll, woe be unto you if you solve it. Sure. And, and here we come back to the state of, of poverty in this country. Poverty, the poverty rate in the United States was, was falling precipitously right up until the time that we, Johnson, announced the war on poverty. From that point forward to this day, 
The poverty rate has remained at about 13% plus or minus, more some years, less other years. And we have created over 100 different government entities to wage this war on poverty at a total cost adjusted for inflation of $24 trillion. If we had simply cut checks to the poor, we could have cut every poor person a check for $50,000 every year for the past 50 years. Poverty would have been eradicated. There would have been zero poverty in the United States for the past half century. And yet we didn't do that. Why? Because that doesn't serve politicians and bureaucrats' aims. Anthony Davies is co-author of Cooperation and Coercion, How Busy Bodies Became Busy Bullies and What That Means for Economics and Politics. We spoke in July. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 